we don't talk about instructional pieces. We don't talk about fly time. We don't really get into that sort of minutiae. What we care about is experience. So in that sense, as an experiential magazine, we want to, I want to transport our readers to places that they know and places that they've never been before. And in those places they've never been before, I want writers and photographers skilled enough to place them there. That was Steve Duda, editor of the Flyfish Journal, talking about the experience he has created for fly fishers interested in a different take on the whole thing. This is episode number 38 of the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show, where you discover tips, tricks, and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today. We'll help you on your fly fishing journey with classic stories covering steelhead fishing, fly tying, and much more. How's it going, everyone? Thanks for stopping by the Fly Fishing Show. Before I get into the intro, I want to remind you uh, about a new live webinar we have going on on YouTube. Head over to wetflyswing.com slash webinar to sign up for the next live event where I have a new special guest each month to tie a few flies. In today's episode, I interview Steve Duda, editor of the Flyfish Journal. Steve talks about the experience you get with the Flyfish Journal, talks about the banjo in his punk folk band, and a story about swallows. We get into a little on conservation politics and uh, about the women in fly fishing movement, which has come quite a ways in uh, recent years. Don't miss this as Steve shares an end of the summer hoedown he calls the burning pram party that ends in, you guessed it, a burning pram in a bonfire you can see from outer space. So, without further ado, here's Steve Duda from the flyfishjournal.com. How's it going, Steve? It's going great, Dave. How are you? Good. Good to have you on. Uh, we, uh, I've got a few questions here. You know, I, you've got a, a pretty interesting uh, magazine that you are the editor of, the Flyfish Journal. And I, I'd like to dig into some questions there on, you know, what you have going and kind of your history. But uh, maybe you can just start us off first with how you got into fly fishing and how this all came to be where you're, you know, uh, the editor of kind of one of the biggest fly fishing magazines out there. You know, I just wrote a piece about um, sort of my anniversary of fly fishing. Um, and it would happen in, for me, it happened in the early 90s, like 90, right about 1990, actually. I had just moved to uh, Boise, Idaho uh, from Detroit, Michigan, and lived across the street from the Boise River. But right across the street as well was this weird little store that was like a combination hardware store, taxidermy, and pawn shop. And on the wall, they had a fly rod with a reel and a line for like 75 bucks. <laughs> I only had 50 at the time, so I went in and, and kind of haggled. And walked out, nice. out, walked out with the rod um, and then proceeded to walk across the street and jump in with jeans and, and Converse high tops and, and start flailing away. Huh. Yeah. And it's been frustration and aggravation ever since with little spurts of glory in between, I guess. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. <laughs> I I love hearing the the stories of beginnings because I've had all I mean I just I've had all types of people on here and I just interviewed um Rick Hayfley recently who's a big entomologist and you know he talked about his story where he's been doing it for a long time and then I've talked to people that just started within the, like the last year you know mm -hmm. and they're right away they're guiding and they're just going you know mm -hmm. I think the the common thing is is like the passion it just seems like it doesn't matter when you started how long you started but you kind of get that bug and it just takes you on. Is that kind of what it, it felt like for you? I wonder, Dave, if there's like a triggering gene that some of us just have. Yeah. And as soon as, you know, holding a fly rod in our hand and that meets fresh water or salt water, that gene just triggers. And then, you know, we're, we're done for. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. So how did that, uh, do you remember your f first fish and how that felt? A total mistake. You know, I was just flailing, frothing away, beating up the water. And a fly happened to... Uh, so the one thing I do remember was I was using a Royal Coachman, which is a fly I probably haven't used since. But, you know, just happened to get a cast out there, and it drifted down, and there happened to be a really, really dumb trout who was insistent on eating that Royal Coachman. <laughs> it was probably like a size six, too, just a monster fly. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Yeah, but that was it. You know, just, you know, the Boise River flows right through town. 
there's trout in it. At least there was when I lived there. Um, so every day after after work, I would I would you know march out there and see what I could do. Uh huh. Nice. I didn't believe I didn't believe in waders back then. Uh huh. I thought if you were wearing waders, you were kind of soft. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so how long did it take you to buy your first pair of waders? <laughs> I held out until the wind, until the, uh, until the snows came. Yeah. All right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I better get some of those. Those look pretty cool right now. That's right. That's right. That's sweet. And then, so now full circle and you're up in Seattle now. That's correct. The magazine is based in Bellingham, but I lucky enough to work out of Seattle. Okay. And, uh, and what, so what do you consider your home river now and species and things like that that you target? My home river right now is a beach. Oh Yeah. Um, I live I live in on this peninsula called West Seattle, which is surrounded by beaches, and we're lucky enough to see salmon swim by these beaches. So and still and uh, sea run cuts. So I'm basically ten minutes away uh, from a number of different beaches down here, which makes it really nice just to hop up in the middle of the morning or the middle of the afternoon and go fish an incoming tide or wow. an uh, Yeah, that's cool. So that's a <laughs> That's a unique type of, uh, you know, fishing. I mean, what, can you explain what that's all about and how you catch fish out there? Um, well, the, it really depends on what sort of fish is, com- is coming through. Now, if you're fishing just for the sea runs, which are residents here all year round, um, it's pretty simple. You know, you, you can either look for the splashes and the rises on top or just blind cast. Hmm. Uh, when the salmon comes through, it's much more time and tide specific. Um, it's not complicated. Uh, you just stand on the edge of the beach and cast as far as you possibly can. Um, and you usually have something like the clouds around the end. Mm. So then it's just stripping it in, trying to get that fly to swim naturally or swim with a certain current. And um, <laughs> then, you know, when it's go time, just hold on. Because wow. fish can be nice and big and and huh. fast, fun. And where are these fish heading? I mean, they're heading up river eventually, right? I mean, where, where, how are you tar- hitting them here in in this trip. Yeah, we're, we're catching them right before they go into the rivers. Here. Oh, so they're just kind of coming in and you're just getting them right at the beach. Yeah. Yep. Wow. Yep. yep. They're going, they're coming in from their, you know, their, their migrations and they're going on into their natal streams. Mm-hmm. And, uh, if we're lucky enough, we'll intercept a couple. Gotcha. The, uh, the biggest run for us is the pink salmon run. Yeah. Which is on odd, odd numbered years. Um, but that's also starting to leak over into even numbered years more and more and more. Mm-hmm. Um, every year we have a nice little silver run too, and those those fish are very hot off the beach. That's very fun activity. Mm-hmm. I would recommend wholesome, good family activity. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <Not really. laughs> that's no. This is really interesting. So I mean, I think about I had a I've had a couple of guests on that talked about salmon fishing, and uh, Jay Nicholas was on early on, and I think episode three, and he talked about fishing a little bit of salmon fishing in like uh, the Nestucca tidewater area. Mm-hmm. And he he made the point that like do not if you're new to it don't start doing that you know start steelhead fishing first because it's a little easier but I mean can anybody go up there and, and just go out there and throw off the beach and find some fish is wait, is steelhead steelhead fishing is easier well easier he, than easier than what he, he well he's up there targeting <laughs> chinook in the tide water so okay. yeah you got all the tides and that that was his point is like you got to figure out all the tides and this that and and steelhead you can just it's not easy obviously steelhead aren't easy but you could at least kind of know when they might be there mm-hmm. and and mm-hmm. with the salmon and, and down there you don't know they might be well they might be there and they won't even touch your fly you know so it's just kind of crazy fishery right but um is it different there i mean are these fish pretty they're pretty hot on your fly um you know pinks will eat anything um salmon or pardon me uh silvers will um can be really aggressive um i've hooked kings on the fly off the beach here in west seattle 10 minutes from my house you know, in view of the space needle. Wow. Um, but it's, it's pretty simple. Um, I would recommend, um, like a clear intermediate running line. Cause those tend to, you can shoot those really well and they, yeah. they travel far and, and getting, getting your cast out there is, um, pretty important. However, you can catch fish with a 40 foot cast. Huh? So I've seen guys, you know, struggle to make the 40-foot cast and still catch fish. I'd also really recommend a stripping basket, Mm -hmm. which can just be a little rubber tub to hold your line in. Yep. 
especially if you're using an inter intermediate line because those obviously that's sink. right um yeah but just get it out there as far as you can start stripping it in try different stripping approaches um different flies you know the pinks will eat pretty much anything pink <laughs> um otherwise it's like a straight up clouser often mm -hmm. there's a few specialty flies that folks will use but you know clouser will get you through pretty much gotcha Gotcha. That's yeah, man. That's something. Sounds like I, I gotta, I gotta get up there eventually and try that out. That sounds like a lot of fun. There's some guys here who actually will take their spay rods, oh, so they can cover much more, you know, much more ground. Sure. And shoot their spay rods out there, huh. um, and that seems to work well for them too. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Well, we got maybe if we have time later on, we'll, we'll check into more about this. I I did want to check into, uh, you know, the Fly Fish Journal and just talk a little more about that because I think. I think you guys are leading the way in a lot of ways, doing things a little bit differently. And I mean, there's a lot of great magazines out there and I've talked to, you know, a few editors from other magazines, but uh, maybe you could talk about like, maybe you can describe the fly fish journal to somebody who's never read it before. Oh, that's a good one. Um, I like to think of us as sort of the, well, we're sort of a cultural journal as much as we are about, fly fishing. I mean, we don't really talk about, um, we don't talk about instructional pieces. We don't talk about fly time. We don't really get into that sort of mm -hmm. minutia. What we care about is experience. So in that sense, as an experiential magazine, we want to, I want to transport our readers to places that they know and places that they've never been before. And in those places they've never been before, I want writers and photographers skilled enough to place them there. Um, I think our sport in many ways is about discovery and I want the fly fish journal to be almost a discovery engine, a discovery machine. So readers can have an experience reading the magazine, not just read the magazine and forget about what they've read five minutes later. Um, so I want to take us to new places and I also want to take the readers to old places and through the skill of our writers and photographers, get them to experience those old places in a new way. Mm -hmm. And not just to experience them, but also to maybe gain a new appreciation of those old places, those places that they've been. Right. So what we try to do um, with photography and with writing is to make the culture of our sport um, we want, we want to bring that to the forefront. So, um, you know, we revel in the writing, we revel in the photography, we revel in that experience. Um, to us, that's more important than, um, you know, a five weight shootout or yep. tying five under, you know, under surface caddis patterns. <laughs> we, we want to take the readers there. We want to put the readers in, in the water with yeah. us. So you want to tell stories. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's the coin of the realm for us. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, yeah. I mean, I think that's the, um, you know, my podcast, Roy, there is a lot of, you know, tips and stuff like that, but I know a big part of what I always think about is really trying to get into some stories because people, I mean, they, you know, they resonate with stories and that's like a big part of, of, uh, you know, any, probably anything, right. If you, if you can, if you can describe something with a story people will remember it, right. That's, that's important for, uh, I'm finding that myself. So it's pretty cool to, to realize, I mean, you, that's what you guys are all about and you have some amazing photography and how, how do you get like with the stories? I mean, I guess that's a, a, another question, but, um, I just want to jump in real quick. Yeah. I mean, there's room for, for everything in, in fly fishing media. There's, you know, there's room for instructional stuff. There's room for teaching stuff. There's room for, you know, river guides and stuff like that in the same in the same space as there's room for a goofy magazine like fly fish journal publishing poetry or publishing fiction or yeah. publishing, you know, a, a, a travel travel log. Right. So, I mean, there's, there's, it's a big tent. Yeah. And, um, and if you do it well, I think whatever path you choose, you can make that happen. Right. Make right. compelling, interesting content. Totally. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a good point. I was, uh, yeah, I was going to try to see if you could take us back to, um, you know, I know a little bit about your history and you, you're a snowboarder, you're a snowboarder, right? No, no. Mm -hmm. Ski. Or do you have some other passion, right? What's your other major? Well, our, 
<laughs> our other two magazines, Funny Feelings, we, who, who publishes the Fly Fish Journal, we publish a snowboard magazine. Oh, that's okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, my other passion, I think, is um, playing banjo in a punk rock band. Oh, that's <laughs> All right, all right, I want to I want to get to that one for sure. But uh, before <laughs> before I do, there, uh, can you just take us back to that that uh, you know when you became the editor of the Flyfish Journal and kind of what that whole what that felt like when you when you made it there and then and how did you how did you get there? What why the Flyfish Journal and and how did you know? And then we can go into the punk rock mm-hmm. band. I uh, I uh, started out um, just writing for fly fishing magazines. And as a writer, I, I convinced myself that it would be good for me not to read any other fly fishing writers or really even look at fly fishing magazines for a while because I didn't want to be influenced by anyone's style. I didn't want to know what was trending or any of that stuff. I wanted to be, you know, my own writer. Um, so I started contributing to magazines and, and had some luck um, with the Drake, with American Angler, um, and with the Flyfish Journal. And... Um, I would get a cop copies of the fly fish journal in the mail. And I really loved it. And I really knew some, a bunch of the guys who had already contributed to it. Um, so I started to contribute to them more and more and more. And by then the fly fish journal was starting to get established. It was in its third year. Um, ben Romans, who was yet at the time um, decided to leave. So uh, Jeff gave me a ring, um, went up there, went bass fishing with him. And after we were done bass fishing, he asked me to be the editor. I was absolutely thrilled because um, you know, Flyfish Journal had become my favorite magazine, and yeah. for any editor to any editor to ed- to edit their favorite magazine is huh. is a joy. It's a treat. You know, editing a magazine is a lot of hard work, but when yeah. you mix that when you mix in that element of joy and passion and commitment, it makes that work really satisfying. Yeah, that's and what do you, what is the do you think the the uh, the hardest part of being the editor? <sighs> Oh, that's a good question too. I think the hardest part about being the editors is learning how to say no and then having to say no to like a hundred people in issue, hmm. you know, and that's how many right. people can't be in wow. versus, versus the 15 or 20 who can be in. Yep. So you have, to, huh. you have to get used to saying no and, and crushing people's dreams. Right. Right. And then, and then for those people, what would be your advice to those people that you, that received a no, a no from you? Um, keep writing. Yeah, sure. Keep writing. Um, it's fly fish journal is extremely competitive to get in. Um, you know, we have maybe four feature slots and then maybe eight to 10 departments per issue. And in those feature slots, you're going against the best writers in the biz. So you're going against John Gierak. You're going against River Horse Nakadake. Oh, wow. against David Zobi. I mean, you're going against guys who are pros at it. <laughs> and even in the departments, you're going against some of the finest writers out there. So it's tough competition, right, to yeah. get in. So I would say keep writing, keep self-editing, keep rewriting, keep honing your craft. Um, because you're not going to get in to the Flyfish Journal or Tom or the Drake um, mm-hmm. by accident, right? You're not. It's not going to be accident. So um, you have to work at it like you would work at anything else. Like you would work at your cast. Like you would work at fly tying. You have to really be dedicated and spend some time and hone that thing and cut every unnecessary word that you can. Right. Right. Yeah. That's. Yeah, that, that sounds like, uh, I mean, like, yeah, like you said, like anything, you gotta, if you really want it, you know, you, you can get it. You just gotta really go for it. And that's, that's, uh, right. that's good that's advice. Right. So mm-hmm. what, so what, how do you, um, well, I guess the first thing is a couple of questions. How do you choose what to publish? And maybe you can give an example of a, uh, an article or something you guys put out there that really resonated with people, your audience. Well, um, the thing with the Flyfish journal is it's a meritocracy. Right. So while I mentioned that you'll be competing against guys like River Horse or Girac or, you know, some of the best writers in the business, everything I get, I read. Right. So I don't really care if your name is River Horse or Girac or, you know, Jane, Jane Doe. I read everything that comes across my desk. And the only reason something gets in the Flyfish Journal is because I consider it um, excellent. Hmm. 
right? So yep. um, it's a meritocracy, and that's how I decide. Of course, now there are some other considerations. You know, we want to be seasonal. We're a quarterly magazine, so we want some seasonality. So I want to publish stories that take place in the fall and the fall. I want winter stories for the winter issue, right? So there's that. And I also like a bit of um, geographical diversity. So I can't have everything take place in the Pacific Northwest. I can't have everything take place in Argentina. I have to, I have to spread that out a little bit as well. Um, and I, I do like to get, um, Dave, new voices in as well. Oh, yeah. I think it's really, really important to our sport to have new voices and to have voices that maybe haven't been paid enough attention to in the past. People of color, women. Um, other folks like that, I think it's very important to our sport to encourage those voices. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and that includes, I know I, I saw a little bit of your stuff on some of the, um, I think it was, it might've been a video because you guys have kind of a Vimeo channel out there, right? That's correct. Yeah. So I think it was something on, I think, uh, uh, some women were going fly fishing and they were, you know, kind of, and you're seeing more of that, you know, kind of this women, the, the kind of the women's movement and fly fishing. And it's really awesome. I have a couple of little girls myself, so it really, really resonates with me seeing, you know, whatever we can do to move that forward. Do you, what do you see as like challenges with fly fishing? I mean, it's always been this white, white man, white male sport. Uh, do you, do you see changes there in, in fly fishing? Absolutely. And it's, it's about time as well. Um, ever since I've been editor of the fly fish journal for seven seven some years, um, you know, it's been my experience that women have not been treated very well in the sport. Mm. Um, you know, they've been marginalized. Um, they've been used as eye candy in mm. advertisements. They've been used as eye candy in certain magazines. Yep. It's just, it's just distasteful. The past couple of years, finally, that tide is starting to change. I think we're starting to see, um, more women's voices, more non-objectified women in the media mm -hmm. of life. And to me, that's crucial. To ignore half of our potential population in the sport is is mind-boggling to me. Yeah. And I think that's finally starting to turn around. Hmm. Thank God for it. Yep. Yeah, that is that is crazy to think about that. But that's uh yeah, we're in we're in a, a you know a good time. And I think uh yeah, I don't know what the words of advice would be to people listening this to help help move it forward, but I guess it would be to maybe connect with some of those people, which I have, I've got a couple of, uh, that's been one of my struggles with the podcast. I to date <laughs> haven't had a single female on my podcast, but actually that's going to change next, next week when I have April, uh, Voki on coming on and we've got some other really great, uh, women that are going to chat. So yeah, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do my I, part. I know here in Seattle, um, a couple of the fly shops, the fly shop here in West Seattle has an extremely vigorous, um, women's program. Hmm. And, you know, I see that on, on social media all the time, the women's programs coming out of these fly shops. Um, they're really, they've been very popular the last couple of years and I'm not quite sure how it's going to be done Dave, but they're going to change our sport. Yeah. And That's I cool. can't wait for it. That's cool. And so hopefully by the time your daughters are ready yep. to start bringing a stick, we could have an entirely different sport. And I think that would be absolutely fantastic. I know it's, it's, it's a crazy, yeah, I, I never, I don't get into politics really at all on this show because it's not, you know, it's not worth the time. But uh, I mean, it's such a maddening world out there with the pol political thing, and uh, and to think that, you know, maybe we can have some influence on, you know, maybe fly fishing. I don't know, maybe that's not what it's about. But um, you know, for me, just thinking of giving everybody a chance, right, a shot at, to do what they love, and I, that's what I want to do for my for my girls as well. You know, maybe it will be fly fishing, maybe not, but just give them a shot at whatever. And um, that's, I guess, yeah. something I think about. Unfortunately now, Dave, I think that fly fishing is political. Oh, yeah. I think you have to be, and I'm not sure being a conservationist is political. Right. But I think if you're a fly fisherman these days, you absolutely have to be a conservationist. Yeah. You have to care about the water, the rivers, the oceans. You know, there's so many battles that we have to fight to keep the habitat right. um, productive and to keep the fish um, secure and, yep. and make sure there's more of them. So, I mean, we publish a conservation piece in every issue of the Fly Fish Journal. And it's it's tough because those stories tend to put people to sleep. Yeah. Uh, but we, you know, it's, it's very difficult to always find a story 
that's written in a compelling way that tells a story um, and that makes people care about the water and the fish. Mm-hmm. But I mean, to be a fly fisherman in 2018, you have to be a conservationist Yep. or, or you're just a carpetbagger. Right. No. And I think that that's just uh Oh, I, I guess maybe not everybody's there, but it, it just feels to me like, yeah, most people, you know, they, they get that conservation ethic and, um, we probably have a little more work to do, but, um, yeah, you know, I mean, <laughs> there's so many questions I have for you. One, one of the, uh, one of the, I think I listened to this, this was on the fly tapes podcast and it was the swallow story. And it was like, I think, I'm not sure if you wrote about that as well, but maybe you can describe that a little bit because I think that really is like. I don't know the epitome of, of what you guys, maybe it's you, maybe it's what you guys do, but maybe you can talk about what that, what, what that's all about and what that story is. Um, well, the swallow story takes place on the Yakum river, which is Washington's single blue river trout stream. And I was fishing with uh, my friend Langdon cook, who's also a writer of note. Um, and he hooked a swallow. And, um, the story is basically, uh, it's a combination of the, uh, the natural history of swallows and swallows in our in our imagination and in our literature. And, and it, that's interwoven with trying to get this swallow unhooked and, and back into the air. Mm-hmm. Um, I really enjoyed the piece writing it because um, swallows to me are they're one of my favorite birds. And one of the things I love about fly fishing is the birds. Um, you know, you can just sit there and, and stare at them and, and you see all kinds of different birds you never see sitting in the suburbs of Seattle. Um, but swallows just happened to capture something in my heart. And I felt lucky to be able to write about them in a moving way. Um, then I got the opportunity to um, to read the story aloud and Jason recorded it. And um, it became kind of a favorite of folks um who went to writers on the fly events. Oh, yeah. Um, and I think it illustrates how we connect to nature via fly fishing. Like fly fishing is the delivery vehicle for many things. Mm-hmm. We don't quite understand when we begin to do it. If it wasn't for fly fishing, I wouldn't be as committed to conservation as we were. If it wasn't for fly fishing, I would never have known that I love swallows so much. You know, if it wasn't for fly fishing, I would never know the call of a, of a red-winged blackbird without even seeing it. You know, if it wasn't for fly, I wouldn't know about these cool bugs that live on the bottom of the river. If, if it wasn't for fly fishing, I might never see the inside of a basalt river canyon. You know, there's just so many things that attach us or that we get attached to because of the sport. Right. And that's the wonder and magic of fly fishing. Totally. Totally. Now that's, uh, yeah, I think anybody, uh, we've all, we've all been there and had those moments of the, uh, you know, the amazing fish days. I was, I was telling a story. I was on a, another uh, podcast, um, where I was telling us one of my great stories about a, a babine steelhead I caught and, you know, it was like the great, one of the greatest fish moments of my life. And it was doing cart, literally cartwheels on the, on the water, upper teens fish, but <laughs> The, the, the thing that I remember, I mean, that I remember obviously, but the trip, you know, the trip that we went down to this canyon and we did this thing, which just blew us all away. You know, that mm-hmm. was like, that was the memory. I mean, the fish that they always be there, but you know, so I think I, I hear you, man. I mean, that's, that's what everybody, if you haven't done it yet or haven't gone into, you know, tried that new river, it's, I think that's where you see where you find new things. I mean, do you, do you get out and try to test a lot of new rivers and things like that? Well, one of the things that, you know, you were just talking about going to the babine and and catching this great steelhead. One of the things that I always strive to do as editor of the fly fish journal is, and this sounds sort of counterintuitive, but it's what I do um, is to not publish just fishing stories. Mm -hmm. We've all read them. We all probably know how it ends. Um, And I don't really care about them. They're, They're going to me. What I care about is the camaraderie of the trip, you know, the, the new people that you might meet, the new places that you might go, the new things you might see, the foods, the smells. 
I want you to take us there. I know what's going to happen when you catch that fish. Um, and I really don't want you to be the hero of your own piece. <laughs> I, want, I want to know how you overcame. Yeah. Or I want to know what you learned. Or I want to know how you over, how you beat back that that's failure. Cool. How you dealt with that failure, right? Yeah. To me, that's important stuff. That is awesome. Yeah, I was it's kind of triggering another uh, person I interviewed uh, recently, uh, Tim Rollins. He's the line speed Jedi, you know, out there, and he he's basically documenting his journey of learning how to spay cast, mm-hmm. and uh, and it was really cool because he called himself the line speed Jedi, and we just discovered what it's all about, and you know, the fact that he is. You know, he's the, you know, he is the Jedi learning from Yoda, right? I mean, that's the conversation we had that, that like he's documenting his journey and we're kind of interested because it's his journey. And I mean, is, is that the same sort of thing where you guys, when your people are publishing stuff, you know, for the journal that you're seeing that journey or is it, is it, is that the, you know, kind of what you're documenting or is there, are there other nuances there? I mean, there, there are pieces that people that we've published where, where we, where we witness people's journeys. I mean, that's a big part of fly fishing. If you really think about it in every fly fishing trip, unless you happen to live beside the river, there's a journey involved, you know, and, and on most journeys, there's a transformation too. So, um, that those, those are good stories, right? Those are cool stories. That is, that is. And I, I was hoping to get a good story from you about, um, you know, I'm always interested, you know, it might be fly fishing or just your life, but you know, to get where you are today, is there something, this, a story or a moment in your life that kind of influenced to, to get you to where you are? Gosh, that's a good question, David. Um, (laughs) I think, uh, I just think because you're the editor of, you know, like we're talking about here, a major, you know, our industry, I mean, the fly fishing niche isn't humongous, but mm-hmm. it's still, you're, I mean, you're on top of the game here and it just seems like lots of people would want to do something similar or whatever. And, you know, was it just chance or do you think, was there something that kind of, that influenced it? I think, uh, well, I was like about 16 years old when I had my first piece published. And that was the moment I realized that, I think I only have one marketable skill. <laughs> so <laughs> I was consigned to a life of, to a life of hitting typewriter. Keys. So you've, um, you've been a writer for a long time. Yeah. I was pretty much the only thing. I mean, I've had a lot of odd jobs obviously, but it's pretty much the only thing I've ever, ever done <laughs> as a writer and an editor, which like I said, I have no other skills. So thank God I found it. Huh. That's amazing. So, I mean, and what have you written over the years other than fly fishing? Um, I've mostly worked for newspapers, alternative newspapers and magazines. So, um, yeah, I've written for, you know, your, like your local alternative newspaper, mm-hmm. um, editor of those. I started one in Boise called the Boise Weekly. Uh, I've written for Rolling Stone, Huffington Post. Oh. Uh, I, I was in music journalism for quite a while, uh, for like 20 years. I was a music journalist. So I would I interviewed bands and did stories on bands and that sort of stuff. And, uh, realized, you know, after a while that I could make like dozens of dollars writing about fly fishing. Right. (laughs) That's the amazing thing about fly fishing is I I just keep this theme keeps coming up about, you know, there's not a lot of money and there are a lot of people that work a normal nine to five job and do their fly fishing on the side. Right. Oh yeah, for sure. Yep. So it's, uh, yeah, no, it's interesting. I love hearing, hearing the story. I mean, the, the punk band or, you know, your band that you're telling, maybe you can tell us a little bit about how that all came to be. And are you still, do you play out there and tour? Yeah, we're, uh, we just got done with a tour. Um, and now it's sort of festival season for us. So we've been playing some festivals. Okay. And what's the name of the band and where can they find the name it? of the band is uh, South sound tug and barge. Um, you can find us at South sound tug and barge and on Facebook, stuff like that. We're uh-huh. a three piece, um, sort of a folk punk band, which means we have, um, an acoustic guitar an accordion and a banjo. Wow. That doesn't really sound too punk rock, but, um, <laughs> uh, we get it going a little bit. It's only the accordion. That's gotta be something to hear. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so that's been that's been keeping me busy the last couple of years. We've had a lot of luck with the band, um, and it's fun. You know, yeah. it's 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 a fun thing to do, and and that's you know it's it sort of comes back to the whole 
joy thing. Why do people fly fish? Well, it brings them joy. Yep. Right. It's, it's, it's almost like mainlining it. It's the closest thing you can have to being to have full satisfaction in this life. You're standing in the middle of the river and your heart is happy and your mind is happy and your body is happy. And it's just, it's all those things tied into a great package, right? That's what we love about fly fishing. Yep. For me, the same thing is like, you know, getting ready to play a show or standing on stage playing a show. Um, it's just very, um, involving, all part, all your senses are engaged and on fire. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're pushing and, yourself. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're you're so, having fun. That's the great thing about finding something yeah. that you're passionate about is that is that you're having fun with it for sure. But keeping you on the edge and, and pushing yourself to learn new things is what what keeps you keeps you going, right? Right. And you know what else I think is a notion of satisfaction, a notion of a job well done, which is also one of the things we love about fly fishing yeah you know you get you hear a lot of people talk about oh i caught that fish on mistake well yeah that happens sometimes but most of the reason most of the time we catch a fish because we know what we're doing and we make a good cast and we're good at it we've chosen the right fly right Mm -hmm. it feels good to be good at something and when we connect with a fish like that we realize that we've done it right yeah we've we've danced with nature for a little bit <laughs> and um we've been able to like fool a fish i know a lot of people who aren't fishermen might hear that statement and, and think well big deal you fooled a fish right you didn't invent a cell phone or cure cancer or anything right. but at the same time um i think as humans we need things to fill our hearts and i think fly fishing really fills that bill mm-hmm. nice so thinking back, and I'm, I'm not sure how old you are and all that stuff, but um, I, I occasionally love to ask the question about, you know, if you look back at your 25-year-old self, do, do you have any words of advice you would you would give that person? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, not sure where you, I'm not sure where you were at 25, but... I'm trying to think. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't have listened to any advice at 25. Real, yeah, right. I don't mean either. <laughs> um. What advice would I have given myself? Jeez. <laughs> yeah, I can't. That's such a good question, Dave. You've yeah. got me completely stuck. I know. I, I haven't answered. I don't t- typically answer all my, ever answer my questions, but I'm just thinking about myself. And, you know, it seems like for me, I kind of wasted a lot of time in my 20s. And maybe I didn't, but it just seems like I was, you know, I was fishing. I was fishing a lot and doing all that stuff. But, it seems like now I'm more focused on putting something together that is really, you know what I mean? Like something I want to last. And maybe that's just cause I'm older now and that mm-hmm. stuff, but I, I kind of wish for me, I would have got gotten started, you know, started earlier on some of that. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so I don't know that that's kind of one thing I think about, but no, that's a good point, Dave. And I, I feel that way too, uh, in my writing and in my editing and in my approach to the work I do at the fly fish journal, because when someone cracks open, and a, a copy of the journal in 25 or 50 years, I want them to think, yeah, this is what it was like back in, in 2018. This yeah. is how fly fishermen spoke. And mm-hmm. this is what they were thinking about. And this is what they were fishing for. Like, this is, I want us to be sort of that time capsule in a way yeah. that cult time capsule. And, and, you know, for me as a writer and editor, um, there's, there's, and it, this is vain, I know, but there is um, a notion of legacy. Mm-hmm. Been such a great literary tradition in this sport, and to me, at this point in my career, it's important to be part of that legacy. Yeah, right. I want to be. I just want to leave my mark on the sport, and and contribute to it in some way. And and luckily for me, this sport has the finest literary tradition of any sport or outdoor uh, activity. Mm-hmm world so to be part of that yeah. is is an honor for me totally and, and why why is that why do you think that is i mean I, I, it seems that's a quite a statement right well i mean you know we're a sport where you think about things a lot you're just standing out there in your mind once your mind settles down a little bit you can start thinking about things and so we contemplate while we're out what you know why are we out there what are we doing um 
and you know that leads to I think that leads to a lot of the literature that we have in this that we're lucky to have in this sport. Yeah. And you know what, people have been doing it for a long time, right? People have been fly fishing a heck of a lot longer than they've been, no. you know, kiteboarding, sure. so snowboarding. Yeah. So I mean, we have it, and we're lucky to we're lucky to um, we're lucky to have it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I was thinking, you know, you, you mentioned that, uh, you know, you don't, you guys don't do a lot of tips and things like that, but are there thinking back at, you know, you're being the editor and you've read a lot. Are there any, uh, maybe a couple of fly fishing tips that you maybe have used that you've learned along the way that have helped you? Um, my friend Jay Johnson told me one thing that always resonates in my head. He said, you know, the difference between a good nympher and a great nympher. And I'm like, no, Jay, what? Like one more piece of split shot. Huh. <laughs> yeah. It's true. It's true though, right? That getting to the right level is a big part of it. The other thing, like when I'm really blowing my casts, getting frustrated, and you know, things aren't working, slow down. Slow everything down. That like to me, if I could give one piece of fly fishing advice, that 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 really encompasses all things, whether you're trying to untangle a knot or tie on a fly or your cast has gone to hell, slow down. Yep. Yeah. That's a, that's a, that's a universal fly fishing, no matter what species you're on and whatever you're doing, you're right. That's, that is a good one. What, what, you know, uh, thinking about, about you've mentioned, you've been writing a lot of different things. Do you have any, uh, a mentor or two throughout your history that really had a big influence on you? Um, in terms of like fly fishing writing, um, and it's odd that I edit him now, but you know, John Gierak, I think set the stage, set the stage for, for a lot of the modern fly fishing literature hmm. that we have now. If it weren't for him, um, I don't know. We still might be, we still might be reading hero stories, right? Hmm. Um, but yeah, definitely Gierak in terms of the fly fishing writing, Sparse Gray Hackley, I thought, was always brilliant. Um, in terms of just regular literature, um, gosh, a uh, poet like Mary Oliver, a writer like Jim Harrison, writers like Charles Bukowski, who used an economy of words to convey really, really powerful sentiment. Hmm. Those, were the, those were definitely the, the writers that had a lot of influence on me. Yeah. And uh, for Gerox, is there any... Any example of any of his writings for those that maybe haven't read much of his that kind of uh, resonated with you? You know, I don't know where I first picked up um, my copy of um, Trout Bum. It was probably a bookstore or it might have been a fly shop. Um, but for some reason, those stories, um, maybe because they were the first ones. Uh, but those stories were the ones that really, really grabbed me. Now, this was 30 years ago that I probably picked up that book. And just two days ago, John sent me a story uh, for our 10th anniversary. Oh, nice. Um, which is coming up, right? That's sweet. Um, so I remember being a kid, or not a kid, but reading his stuff and being awestruck. And now to be able to work with a guy like John um, <laughs> is amazing. And I'll tell you a little inside baseball about working with him. Um, as I said before, I get a lot of stuff in, right? Yeah. Um, and it's, it's all in different, in various states. You know, some of it the guys haven't used spell check, and it's just a mishmash, and right. the, the writing is poor, the writing is marginal, or there's bad parts, or you know, there's spelling mistakes or grammar mistakes, or there's usually something that needs yep. that needs a little work. I've probably published five of John's pieces. Every single one of them has come in immaculate and ready for publication. No kidding. And as an editor, I have, I haven't had to touch a single piece of his. Wow. He is the only writer <laughs> that we've ever published that I can say that about. That's that's pretty good. <laughs> I mean, that's amazing. And I'm a I'm a really hands-on editor too. I'm looking for something. Yeah. Um, but yeah. with they they come in perfect. Huh. Yeah. I mean, he's. He's that much of a pro. He's that good at what he does. That, that's yeah. That's pretty cool. I've been, 
yeah, hopeful, hopeful that I'll be able to connect with him eventually as well. He's definitely obviously a, a big, you know, one of the biggest names out there. And, you know, I'd love to hear some of his stories and, well, I guess there, some of his stories are out there. I mean, plenty of them, but, uh, <laughs> but, but directly, yeah. more directly, maybe dig into some stuff, but, uh, just get paid for selling them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So what do you think, uh, you know, I've, I've talked about this before, you know, kind of the, you know, the trajectory or wherever, you know, kind of publishing and stuff like that. It, it seems like, you know, obviously books and things like that aren't going away. We've talked about that before here, but what, what about the online stuff? I mean, you guys do some videos and things like that. And are there other, I mean, you don't really publish your magazine articles online. What's your focus for your online stuff? We want, um, the video stuff we do, the microsite stuff we do, the social stuff we do, and the print too. We want all of those to be integrated. So when people think of the Flyfish Journal, they not only think of the magazine, but they think of the microsites we do. They think of our online presence. They think of our social presence. So we want to find a way to integrate the Flyfish Journal into all across all those platforms. Yeah. Right. So we want to get to a point where um, all platforms are equal. Right. Yeah, that's a, it's definitely a challenge. It's funny because I talked to, well, I want to make a note here at, at wetflyswing.com slash 38. Uh, I'll have all the show notes. So we've talked about a lot of links and things. I'll provide as many links as I can to your, uh, to your band. Maybe I can find a YouTube video out there or something like that. <laughs> uh, I'm definitely going to check, check out that after we're done here. But, uh, yeah, no, this has been good. I, I think, um, I was trying to come up with, I thought I saw something out there where you had some sort of a, and I might be completely wrong in this, but like a, an event where you guys meet up and have a campfire hoedown sort of event. Is that, am I mistaken on that? We have a, we have an event every second weekend in October, um, along the Yakima river called burning pram. That's it. Yep. And this has been like 15, 15, 20 years now we've had this thing. Um, and it's just pretty much a way for, a huge group of fly fishers to get together and really have a great party in the middle of the de- in the middle of the desert. Mm-hmm. So you know the fly fishing is usually fantastic that time of year because the trout are hungry and they're about to go to sleep and they want to you know they want to pile on the cat- cat- calories. Oh yeah. Uh, but then we have you know we have a lot of other activities. So everyone brings food and there's huge potlucks um, every evening. Uh, people bring you know bring their homemade wine, people brew beer, hmm. Got a couple moonshiners in the crew. Um, and then we have, uh, we have, uh, the all breed dog race, which is a fantastic spectacle, you know, like 30 dogs lined up wow. <laughs> <laughs> and then running a hundred yards to, you know, for a chance of glory. No kidding. We have a huge Rochambeau tournament for a custom fly rod. Oh, wow. Um, you know, we do some singing, we do some people play music, uh, and then we burn, you know, someone is always responsible for building a pram huh. uh, that we burn. So by the end of the, by the end of the night on Saturday, we have a bonfire that you could probably see from a satellite. No it's, kidding. Yeah. It's, it just really goes. Sweet. So and we'll, we'll get fly fishers from Idaho, um, Alaska, huh. uh, Montana. We'll even let people from Oregon in. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> nice it's a great it's a great 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 time great that, time. Sound, that sounds awesome cool well uh yeah maybe i can make it out there uh this uh you said end of october yep second yeah. week second weekend in october perfect perfect yeah that's good uh so yeah i mean i i, I wanted to focus here a little bit on no i guess one question I, I i like to ask everybody is just on flies i mean as far as we mentioned, we talked earlier about this fishery where you're hitting them off the beach, which I think is amazing. Now you mentioned uh, a couple of fly. What are your top two or three flies that you kind of go with? Well, it depends for what fish, right? Yeah. Are we talking- oh. uh, yeah. Let's say for those, uh, for the sea run. For the sea run. Well, let's talk about rainbows. Cause okay. I, cause I mean, there's not a whole huge variety really for when you're sea run fishing. Okay. It's, you know, there's a, there's a handful of other ones, but for trout, um, I love a Quigley cripple off mm. the back of, off the back of a caddis. <laughs> um, or I love a pheasant tail, like a two pheasant tail rig, mm-hmm. like a beadhead pheasant tail, and then trail that off with an unweighted smaller pheasant tail off right. the back. Yep, that is deadly. 
I mean, they just clean. They just, you know, they just vacuum the river for me. No you can't catch anything, any trout, I think, on a pheasant tail. Huh. And are you, and you have some lead on there as well? So, yeah, usually, yeah. usually. Um, I've been getting into uh, wet flies lately. Um, and uh, I know you talk a lot about steelhead fishing, but yep. I, I own a Tenkara rod. Nice. <laughs> well, let me, let me interrupt you there. Just say that, uh, I'm just in the transition of, um, you know, you're part of really season two, which is more focused on trout fishing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so I have, uh, let me try if I see if I can find it. So episode 39, actually the one right after you is a Tenkara episode. So it's uh, Tenkara Tanuki. So it's all, he breaks down. I was really interested in Tenkara and actually uh, Gear Rock, I think, mentioned it too. He took a whole year off. And, and I think, you know, there's a lot of back and forth on Tenkara. But, you know, my take it on all this stuff is like, if you're having fun, it's great, right? I mean, like, just go for it. And I, I was just interested in Tenkara. So it's cool that you mentioned that. I've, I've fished Tenkara a number of times. And, you know, dudes might laugh at it or whatever. It can be deadly. Mm-hmm. The other cool thing about Tenkara is that it's a gateway drug. Like if your kids oh, yeah. have fly fished before, your girlfriend or your boyfriend has never fly fished before, get them a Tenkara rod and no watch them catch some fish. Wow. And it's simple. I mean, that's the great thing about Tenkara. It's like a couple of flies and uh, they're very sensitive tips. So I could see, I mean, that's why he explained the whole technique. And I was like just listening saying, yeah, I mean, that makes total sense. You can see why you could just slam them. Yeah, it's cool, man. Hmm. It's cool. I like Tenkara. Nice. Um, so I lost my train of thought. I, I guess we were. Uh, let me see if we got about. How are we doing on time? Yeah, we got about. Uh, we got a little bit of time here, maybe for a few more questions. Um, am I missing anything? Anything you want to talk about the journal, or have we covered uh, kind of most of the stuff there? How was your steelhead year this year? Ha! Huh. That's uh, that's actually not a great question. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I was in the process. I got all sorts of excuses, but, uh, yeah, m- moving to a new, uh, city and, uh, well, new town and yeah, I didn't get out uh, a whole lot. So it was probably one of my worst. Well, I, you know, I mean, we're coming up already to summer steelhead now, so I've been really focusing. That's been my focus the last few years. Mm-hmm. So I really don't get started until July, but, um, yeah, the winter season was, was not good for me. I, I you know, I, I guess the runs have kind of been a little up and down and they're, they're a little bit down right now. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that, uh, my biggest goal is with my kids to get them into it this year. That's my number one goal is to mm-hmm. just let them try. We've already out there throwing the spin rod, but I want them to just give it a shot and, and hopefully, you know, down the line, maybe they'll get into it. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you this question. You are part of the fly fishing media. Yeah. You do podcasts right now. I think we're in. Um, sort of a revolutionary period for fly fishing. We've never had as much talent as we do now across so many different platforms, right? We've got people doing podcasts. I probably listen to four or five different fly fishing podcasts. Yep. Uh, we've got guys doing films that we wouldn't even think Amazing. about yep. 15 years ago, right? We've got dudes doing websites. We've got dudes doing <laughs> microsites. We've got all this sort of fly fishing media happening now. Yep. As someone who's part of that, what's your take on it? <laughs> yeah, that's a uh, you know definitely a good question. I think my take on it is, I mean, part of the struggle is is like we we should all we we got to make sure that to to get out fly fishing right and to stay yeah, connected. Right. So that's one struggle. But my take is is that I think it's great. I mean, I think you see downturns in certain things. You know, you see the good and bad, like maybe some books are, are kind of going away and all that stuff. Uh, we're not seeing as many. You know, I talked to, talk to Gene, uh, I think, yeah, Gene Herring in one of the episodes. He was an old fly fish TV, right? He was a guy back in the day who mm-hmm. published a bunch of fly fishing uh, DVDs. And, uh-huh. you know, and now he can't, he can barely sell those, right? Because it's all changed. But my take on it is, I guess I could just look at what I'm trying to do. You know, why am I doing a podcast? I'm doing a podcast because it's the one thing I found that I'm kind of good at. Right. You know what I mean? Like I'm not, it's funny we're talking about writing because I can tell you this. I've said this before on the show. I am not a good writer, you know, and it's just one of those things where I always tried to, there's a number of reasons why, but I just, I I haven't written enough. That's one thing, you know, but I just realized, you know, nothing really that I wrote resonated with people. And it's just because I just wasn't that good at it, you know, and I haven't put enough time in yet, but 
but the podcast thing was just, I, I know a little bit about it. I learned about it and it felt like I, I it resonated with people. I got like feedbacks and stuff, mm-hmm. you know? So, mm-hmm. so for me, uh, I think it's great. I think it's, there's a lot more opportunities for people that probably would have never be out there doing it and expressing their uh, points right. of view. And for right. me, like, uh, you know, my whole premise of my show is to, you know, help tell some stories and things like that. So, um, so yeah, I don't know. I think it, it seems like a good thing to me, but I can see how you can get wrapped up and it can be a negative thing as well. I don't know. I like, I think these are the good old days. Yeah. You think so? Yeah, I mean, we have so many new voices and so many people doing new and cool stuff. I remember when I was first starting fly fishing, really the only media we had were magazines. And books. Well, yeah, I guess books. Is yeah, and deal. books, yeah, of course. But, you know, I would be so starved for content that I would, like, run down to my fly shop every day to see if the new American angler was up was up on the stores yet or see if the new fly fisherman was up on the, up in the stores yet. I mean, that's how starved we were yeah. for any sort of information. And now right. It's our, right. And we've got people doing all sorts of cool things, you know, like the writers on the fly tour is a great sure. example or all these cool podcasts. Great, great. Yep. Cool things. No, man. I, I think some of the, the negative stuff I still see, and maybe it's more of a social media, but you made the point, you know, just with the, the women and stuff. I mean, you definitely see some of those, those, you know, pretty crappy Instagram things out there that they're just, you know, that sort of womanizing sort of stuff, you know, and I don't know who they are, but you know, there's some of that that's still out there. I guess that will always be there. But, uh, you know, I, I mean, I don't know. I think, yeah, it's a positive Let's thing. Be positive, Dave. Let's be positive, man. Yeah. All right. All right. I'll change it back. I know. I, I, I'm kind of a, uh, I don't know what I, I'm actually an optimist, but, uh, no, I'm having fun, man. I, I can tell you this. The, the biggest thing is, is I'm having fun. Uh, mm-hmm. I think like Jay Nicholas, I mentioned earlier, he's got a YouTube channel and he ba- noted that he's not making a, a dime off of the channel, but, and I'm the same way, man. I mean, I'm not making any money off of this thing right now, at least. And, any minute, Dave, it's going to start uh, yeah, blowing up. It's going to blow up. I know, but, uh, <laughs> but I'm just having fun. And I think that as long as you're, again, back to the fishing thing, as long as I don't care if it's a tin car or whatever, but as long as you're having fun, it's a great thing. And, and the biggest thing, like you said, with conservation is that the more people we get into it, the more conservation minded people are going to be out there and uh, that means we're going to have a better world so <laughs> well here's the other cool thing like the more people doing fly fishing media the more potential outreach there is right yeah. the more people can touch might be able to be, be touched by the sport yep the other thing cool thing about re- working in fly fishing media is you know it, as you mentioned before it's a small industry that we work in it might seem big if you're just reading the magazines or what not, but yeah, it's really a small industry. Um, but you can say this about fly fishing and the industry. The, there's some really great people that you meet, some just fantastic, creative, smart, compassionate people that you get to meet or work with or just fish with, which is fantastic enough, right? Yep. Just some great people um, work in our industry and we have a big tent, so um, the more the better, I think. Yep. No, I agree. I agree. Well, I've got a couple more for you here before we, we jump out, and um, I know you guys cover stuff all over the you know all over the world. Is there a is there a bucket list uh, on your you know a place you want to go fish or hit up that you haven't been to yet? Oh, great question. Yes, of course there is. I really want to go out to Christmas, uh-huh. for Seychelles. Yeah. Um, I would love, um, I haven't been to, um, oh shoot, I was just thinking of it when I spaced it. Oh yeah, yeah, it'll come to you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I'd love to get up there and fish some of those, I can't believe I haven't done it because I live so close, but some of those, you know, storied BC steelhead ones. Oh yeah. That, you know, that's sort of like the voluntary beatdown thing. I don't right. know why to myself, but. I know. <laughs> steelhead <laughs> Yeah. So Christmas is your uh, is on top of the list. Christmas for sure. Um, we are running this feature in our in an issue that's just going to press now about Oman. 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 Okay. Like where the heck is Oman? Yeah. Uh, which is you know it's on the it's on the Red Sea. It's on the Ara- Arabian Peninsula, untouched, huh. huge GTs, and it just looks absolutely remarkable. Looks wow. fantastic. And nobody's heard of it. Yeah, there's so you know that's the thing with fly fishing, man. There's so many places you want to be. I know. 
so many places you want to go. Yep. That's why, uh, that's why it's cool. I think that's another reason I love it, that it's expanded and it, that's going to be a good thing too. Mm-hmm. And you know, no matter where you go to fly fish, there you are. And it's usually probably going to be pretty cool. Like, um, you know, some of the things that you see, like whether you've, I've, I love going to the Bahamas, right? I love going to South Andros. Um, and the f- reason I love it so much is it's so beautiful. The flats are so expansive mm-hmm. and so um, remarkable and so vast and so alone. And it just blows your mind. And then you get back um, to town. And after you've been there for a while, after you've been there for three days, or you, it's your third or fourth year down, you begin to realize, gosh, you know what? I also love these people here, too. Um, they're so generous and so nice and so friendly um, yeah. to people coming into fish, right? It's 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 great, and that's why you know that's sort of like the multifaceted, multi-layered thing about fly fishing that we've been talking yeah. about much this whole show is that it it's just layer after layer of delight and surprise, joy and discovery. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, can't beat it, really, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's good for most people. Uh, I was, I had uh, just a couple more for you before we let you go. And um, thinking about, you know, your magazine is obviously a good, I, I guess you could call it a resource. So you got a lot of uh, information there. Do you have some another uh, magazine or book or online resource you use when you're kind of planning a trip or going for it? Or do you have? Or do you have yeah. it all, is it all on your, uh, pretty much when you're, I mean, what do you do for, you know, when you're planning a new trip? Well, what's your, how, how do you, how do you set that up? How do you get it all lined up? Well, oftentimes it'll be the lodge or, okay. or a writer who will come to us and say, Hey, we want to do this. We have this idea planned. Gotcha. You guys want to take part or do you want to send a writer or do you want to send yeah. one of your photographers? So in that sense, yeah, it's, it's, so it's not necessarily a DIY sort of thing. Yeah, correct. Gotcha. Correct. Yep. Um, but you know, I still do DIY trips with my buddies who aren't in the industry who just go out and fly fish. And, you know, I've lived in the Northwest for a long time. So I know a lot of, I lived in Idaho and I know, um, a lot of the good zip codes out here. Yeah. You know, it's, it's one of those things you, with, you've got to put in your time, you know, and you know, good waters are keep your ears open and you hear about things and, you know, then you have, then you have your network of friends, you know, your, your friends who work at fly shops or, or whatever, Right. Who certain areas, and they're like, "Yeah, I got a place for you. Go here, or go there, blah blah blah." Yep. But in terms of like, do I have one particular resource? No. Yep. Not really. Yep. Cool. Not really. Cool. So uh, yeah, well, maybe you can talk a little bit about we've. Uh, I think we've covered. Uh, gosh, a, a bunch of good stuff here. I was maybe you could tell us the next you know six months or so what what you have coming. Anything new with the the journal or your life or anything we can expect from you. <laughs> Well, we have a bunch of uh, – we've really been concentrating on the video stuff. Liam has been doing a great job for us. We have that. Um, we've got some really cool things. Um, I really can't talk about them till they, till they hit. Okay. But um, we're really getting into some video stuff, Yeah, which, which is cool for us. Uh, of course, my focus is mainly on finding the best writing I can about fly fishing. Um, so that's cool. We have our um, – we're just going to press right now with our summer issues, so that should be going out. Very shortly. And then our next issue um, is our 10th anniversary issue. Mm. So that will be fun mm-hmm. to put together. We're talking about some cool things to do for that. All right. Um, and I'm stoked about that. And it's, you know, in an, in an era where people said, you are crazy to start a magazine. Huh. Um, it's, is, that, it's, is that what they said? Oh, yeah. Huh. I remember we got laughed out of meetings. Wow. Um, you guys will never make it. Um, yep. This is the stupidest idea I've ever heard, and so now to to hit that ten year mark um, is is satisfying for us. Yeah, it's it's gratifying. They, so we're stoked about that. So yeah, keep an eye out for that stuff. They uh, there's a saying I'm not even sure where the quote comes from, but it's basically they you know people come for the um, they come for the content but stay for the voice, and I think it's something like that. But basically, you know, you guys have your own voice, you know, unique perspective. And I think that's a good word of advice for anybody out there that wants to do something. You know, it's like, there's room for it, right? You, you can, 
especially nowadays with social media and everything else, if you have a something people want to read or, or listen to, you know, you can do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you have more opportunity now to get your voice out there than ever before. And I, if I would say one thing, it's be authentic. Yeah, be authentic. Be authentic. Be yourself. Cool. All right, Steve. Well, maybe you uh, you can let uh, everybody know again where they can find you if they have questions or want to follow up with you. Sure. Uh, you can hit me up at Steve Duda at theflyfishjournal.com. That's my email address for the magazine. Uh, the magazine is theflyfishjournal.com. Uh, we have a bunch of multimedia stuff up there, so that's also cool. Uh, and you can check us out at the fly – or pardon me. You can check out our band, South Sound Tug and Barge, at southsoundtugandbarge.com. Sweet. All right. Well, uh, yeah, like I said, I'll provide links to all that uh, in the show notes here. And, uh, yeah, just want to thank you for coming on and and sharing, uh, you know, all this information. It's been, uh, you know, this has been a little bit different than some of the episodes. And I can't remember how many uh, people I've interviewed now that kind of been in the the same realm as you, but it's a number of them. And you brought a a different perspective on, on kind of the you know, writing and, and all of that. So I'm, I'm excited to share that with people and out in the audience and looking forward to seeing more of your stuff. Right on. Thanks, Dave. It was my pleasure. All right. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Thank you. I right, see you. So there you go. If you want to find all the show notes with all the links we covered, just go to wetflyswing.com slash 38. And I uh, just want to remind you, if you want to check out the new fly tying webinar series, head over to wetflyswing.com slash webinar. And uh, we can uh, get you some updates there. Thanks again for stopping by to check out the show today. I'm looking forward to catching up with you soon and hope to see you online or on the river. Thanks for listening to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. For notes and links from this episode, visit wetflyswing.com. And if you found this episode helpful, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes.